This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Welcome to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Today is Friday, December 18th, and I am Tony Vernetti, the president and founder of Fed's Protection. Today is our last show of the year. Um, don't know where the year went. Um, we're going to be discussing how unprecedented events of 2020 have impacted federal employee associations, what 2021 will look like for federal employees, and how associations can work together to get through these uncertain times. I'd like to begin by welcoming Abe Brown to the show. Abe is the president of the Federal Executive Institute Alumni Association. Abe also has a day job at the FDA, where he is a senior advisor for external engagement in the Division of Partnership and Investments. Uh, Welcome, Abe. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Tony. Great to be here. Next, I want to welcome Dr. Vivian Chen. Dr. Chen is the chair of the Asian American Government Executives Network. She also serves as the Director of Emergency Medical Services for the Forest Service in her very important day job. Welcome, Dr. Chen, and thank you for being here as well. Thank you, Tony. Great to be here. Finally, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Jason Briefel. Jason is the Director of Policy and Outreach for the Senior Executives Association. He also serves as Shaw, Bransford, and Roth's Director of Government and Public Affairs and the Editor-in-Chief of Fed Manager and Fed Agent, and those are his day jobs. <laughs> Welcome, Jason. Thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, great to be here, Tony. Ha- happy to be on this side of the uh, the microphone this time for Fed Talk. <laughs> Today's show, we're going we're gonna to want to start with a discussion. Um, we're going to introduce um, FEIA with Abe, um, and then um, Dr. Tran and Jason will tell us about their respective associations and and how the kind of association world's been working together this year collaboratively. Um, And then during the second half of our show, we will discuss the the major changes faced by federal employees in 2020, you know, what we're calling our our new normal moving forward into 2021 and which issues we think will really be prevalent for um, federal employees in, in 2021. Uh, before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. The Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program is sponsored by the U.S. Office of Personal Management. It's insured by the John Hancock Life and Health Insurance Company under a group long-term care insurance policy, and it's administered by Long-Term Care Partners, which is now doing business as FedPoint. To learn more about them, please visit ltcfeds.com. That's www.ltcfeds.com. So, Abe, um, let me start with you. Um, and thanks for thanks for being here. Um, can you kind of um, you know please introduce um, your organization to our listeners? Sure, absolutely, Tony. So, the uh, Federal Executive Institute Alumni Association (FEIA) we began. Uh, in 1970, when there was a group of senior leaders uh, from the Federal Executive Institute that decided they wanted to continue their professional development after the program stopped. And so over the last 50 years, uh, we've grown uh, quite a bit. We're now over 600 members strong. Uh, we're dedicated to helping to extend that FBI experience. Uh, the professional training, the executive networking, leadership development, social events, and more into the months and years after FEI. And we offer numerous education and social events and annual leadership development and training executive forum, which is co-sponsored with FEI, a monthly leadership newsletter, 
access to an online membership directory uh, for connecting with peers across the government more. You mentioned FEI. Um, for our listeners that are you know unfamiliar with what the Federal Executive Institute is, can you give us just a little bit of a, a background of what FEI is all about, who attends it, um, what they what they learn? Sure. So the Federal Executive Institute is uh, uh, the premier leadership program within the uh, OPM's Center for Leadership Development, and the FEI is uh, based out of Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, they have a variety of uh, programs for uh, persons that are seeking senior executive service uh, and persons that are in senior executive service that are seeking to grow uh, their leadership skills, uh, their capabilities. And so the FBI does a very good job of people that uh, are in GS 14 levels, 15 levels, and SESs and SES equivalents. Uh, they teach, uh, they have a full curriculum, a very robust curriculum that teaches everything from change management to, uh, strategic, to strategic leadership, uh, transformational leadership, uh, basically teaching how to be resilient. Uh, they have programs that are uh, on site. Uh, they have the residential program, which is very well known. Well, you'll actually go there uh, to Charlottesville. Uh, for a full uh, four weeks, a full month, and you'll stay there uh, living on campus in like a dormitory setup. And uh, you'll be uh, eating, living, working, and uh, playing with uh, other federal executives across uh, not just the country, but across the world. Um, and then they also have an, a, a hybrid program, which is on-site a portion and a portion of it is um, uh, remote. And then they have also a 100% remote program, which is 100% online. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on the, the, the main on-site one and just sort of the, the collaborative um, you know, process that, that involves, you know, like what's different, what's unique about this training, you know, that I think lends itself to the fact that there is an alumni you know, association, you know, how's it different than some of the other leadership training that the federal government makes, makes available? Well, it's, it's, it's unique because like, it's, like you said, it's, it's an onsite where you have people that uh, for 24, seven, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, you, you are engaging with other senior leaders, um, individuals that are aspiring to be leaders in the federal government individuals that already are leaders in the federal government. And so you have the classes that, you know, these, these are very, uh, very much like uh, college courses and you're in class with the individuals. And of course, there's always a robust conversation on these key topics, but at the same time, it's, it's after class and you're, you're, like I said, eating with these individuals, you know, three times a day. Um, you may be, you know, if it's, if it's in the summer, you may be uh, swimming at the pool. Um, you're, but you may be going to the store. You will be doing everything 24 hours right. a day with the same individuals. And so right. you learn these people and you not just make uh, colleagues that you can rely on, depend on, but you make lifelong friends. And, and it, it has so many benefits. Um, I, I interviewed one of our uh, colleagues just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, as you know, Dr. Luciana Bordio, and she just happens to be uh, one of President uh, President-elect Biden's selected task force coronavirus task force members, and she was an FBI alum just like myself. So yeah, it seems like it's a real camaraderie um, that gets established there, um, which is why I want you to talk about that a little bit. So I want to talk a little bit about your executive forum. You know, I've um, luck, been lucky enough to attend that a um, couple years. Um, it's your big event each each year. Um, so obviously you could not have the forum this year in light of COVID-19. Um, can you just sort of talk a little bit about um, the forum in past years and then kind of like what maybe the plan is for, for 20, 2021 since we seem like we're going to be kind of in a similar lockdown mode as far as training events are concerned? Sure, sure. It's uh, we all know that 2020 is was a game changer in so many ways. Uh, the, the executive forum is one of the most successful annual events that FBIAA has. 
uh, brings together our alumni and leaders in both both government and pri private sector uh, to network and to learn from experts in the field of executive leadership. You know, our membership and our past form attendees, they provide input for us to select the themes and topics and to identify appropriate speakers and authors each year. And so the annual theme and focus always reflects the current leadership context and the interests of our leaders. Now, as we make plans for the 2021 FAI forum, we will adhere to all federal health and safety guidelines to ensure that our forum attendees can fully participate and engage in learning and networking with their peers and be ready to apply that knowledge and skills with their team members afterwards. Now, whether the, F the 2021 forum will be held at our time-honored location, which is the Melvin Center at George Washington University, or via an online platform, or possibly both. One thing we know for sure, mark your calendars, is that the forum will be on May 18th, 2021. It's a Tuesday. <laughs> so we're going to have to stop here for our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on the Federal News Network. When we come back, we'll welcome to the show Jason Briefel from SEA and Dr. Vivian Chain from the, American, the Asian American Government Executives Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on the Federal News Network. Um, now we're going to bring on Dr. Vivian Chain from the, America, the Asian American Government Executives Network and Jason Breifel from SEA. But before we do that, um, Abe, we talked to, before we took the break, we talked a lot about a little bit about the Executive Forum. Um, but I want you just to spend a few moments before we introduce your association partners here and talk about some of the other real quick, the other events and programs that FEIA offers to its members? Sure. In addition to the executive forum we just talked about, FEIA offers members a variety of opportunities to network with federal alumni, fellow FEIers uh, through the FEIA organized events. This includes everything from monthly live webinar sessions that focus on leadership, career development, diversity, and discussions led by both appointed and career federal government executives. In the past, FEIA members were invited to participate in brown bag lunches, uh, exclusive museum tours within the Washington DC metro area, uh, connections through the leadership with arts at the Kennedy Center, uh, an annual holiday luncheon. Uh, some of these activities and programs, we obviously could not have this past year in 2020, but we do plan to restart many of these programs in 2021. Now, as you mentioned, it's been very difficult to implement, you know, any of the face-to-face -face events, you know, due to COVID-19. Therefore, we have had to modify all of our engagement through our virtual methods. The online platforms have also allowed us to continue our ability to communicate, uh, to engage with the students at FEI, and to provide quality topics for discussion. Uh, we're also increasing our interaction with our members using social media outlets like LinkedIn and Facebook. Thanks for doing that for us. So now I want to kind of just shift gears and have you introduce your two uh, partner associations that we have on the show here, Ajin and SEA. Tell us a little bit about why partnering with these organizations, you know, is important for FEIA. So the, the partnership that we have uh, with both AJA and SBA, uh, it's, it works that allows us to collaborate on events, trainings, initiatives uh, that mutually benefit both our FEIA members as well as AJA and well as SBA members. Uh, the areas of collaboration may include joint networking activities, you know, virtual face-to-face, uh, sharing information on events and resources, allowing each of the organization's members to attend the other's activities, 
and other selected member benefits, our partnership facilitates a framework of which each association can identify mutual issues and opportunities to partner for the mutual benefit of both their members and our members collectively. And Ajin has been a fantastic partner with our organization. I'm very happy she's here to join us. Uh, Dr. Chen has been uh, more than just a partner. She's been uh, a mentor in many ways to folks like myself. So Dr. Chen, I wonder if you can just spend a little time and introduce um, Ajin to our, to our listeners. I know it's it promotes the, it's exists to promote the mission of increasing diversity in the government and assisting more Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders to sort of make their way um, into the government system. Could you spend a little time and, and introduce your association to our listeners? I gladly. Thank you, Tony. And thank you, Abe. Um, our partnership with uh, the FEA, FEIAA has been really um truly a nice beginning to expanding diversity among um, uh, in a larger pool. But let me talk about Ajin. Ajin was established in 1993 by a network of Asian American Pacific Islander executives to create opportunities for Asian Americans as well as to diversify leadership in the workforce. Um, Ajin has worked because, as we know, there are over 2 million uh, federal employees and only 6% of them are Asians and less than half or half a percent are Native Hawaiian and other Pacific Islander groups. There are about 7,800 senior executives in government, but only 4% of the SESers are APIs. So just in terms of our membership itself, uh, as of the beginning of December, we had a total of 915 registered members. Of those, 202 members are active and about, uh, they represent 33 federal agencies. 124 among them are 15s and above, and they're they're, um, uh, sort of regular members, uh, 42, Two of them, a percent, two are um, associate members at the GS 14 level, and 33, uh, 36 are 16s, uh, sorry, GS 13s and below as affiliates. Um, out of the 915 grand total, there's 125 self designated individuals who are um, ex flag officers senior executives, STs, or uh, senior leaders, or senior technicians, but only 36 are active right now from 18 um, eight federal agencies. I know you've got two of your Hallmark programs. Um, I guess I wonder if you could just talk right. a little bit about you know, sure. those, those programs. We have two Hallmark programs. We have an annual workshop, leadership workshop, and that draws um, individuals from both federal and military uh, uh, met the DOD. Um, we have uh, our trainers really come from a whole range of private pr- private public sector, and they 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 we reached we discussed topics just like um, FEI, very current issues that are really facing leaders, um, and we have a coach big coaching session during that time where individuals can sign up and get menti- menti- uh, mentorship from. Uh, senior executives and uh, flag officers. The second group is really our other becoming even more of our flagship, which is really the senior executive development program we've created internally that we we staff voluntarily and we have sessions. Um, uh, once we we select a class uh, of about 22 people a year applications uh, starting in November, December. We select in January, February. Um, and we generally have so many people that we only 50% of the people who apply really get selected. That goes through a whole range with, with the support of uh, um, institutions like Harvard um, Executive Program or AU 
and OPM, we have leaders from those organizations that come and provide training, including um, the basic skills on ECPs, resume writing, et cetera. And I think what it does is we develop future leaders through the development program. And we offer coaching and mentoring. And we supply um, a network of senior executives and congressional public sector leaders um, to mentor our membership. And we provide development training workshops and conferences that we provide the annual awards, of course, and creation. We also have a scholarship program for uh, to cr- try to feed the pipeline of young individuals in college who are trying to, who are deciding to be public servants. So we give back to the community that way through our, um, our uh, programs. We also try to, we've changed our program because of, of the current conditions and we tried to do fundraising now through like CFC and um, Amazon but I'll stop here if you want more information you can always go to our website at www.aagen.org yeah, thank you for that overview. Let me let me shift now and invite Jason um, to the show. Jason, can you tell our listeners um, a little bit about um, the Senior Executive Services and its you know its mission, its focus, and and what it brings to its members? Uh, absolutely, Tony. Uh, the Senior Executives Association is uh, forty years old this year. A nonprofit professional association. Um, that is for senior career leaders. Historically, the focus has been on the the SES specifically and other executive cadres. That still remains the focus, but we've also opened the doors in recent years for folks uh, more broadly on their public service leadership journeys and uh, GS-12s and above are now eligible for SEA membership. Um, And like like, uh, Ajahn, like FEIAA, uh, there's a lot of activities to inform, educate, and bring our members together. Uh, professional development activities, both from the association, from our corporate partners. Uh, we feel that kind of curating information and opportunities for folks to come together is a key role that the association can play for busy leaders in the government. And that's another great reason that this partnership and the ability to share information among our organizations um, is a really great benefit for all of us because as leaders, our members are facing many of the same challenges and um, learning learning together, sharing those opportunities um, can help the government accelerate faster. Um, Jason, real quick, uh, before we go on the break, I wonder if you can just uh, speak a little bit, um, you know, kind of about the, I know you all recently had your virtual summit um, re- a few weeks ago. It's something that you, you normally, the summit is done annually um, in December each year. Um, SCA puts on a, a real good program and you weren't able to do that in person this year. Um, but um, maybe if you can just briefly talk about what you were able to do virtually. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. I'll, I'll uh, re- like everyone else, we had to, to shift from the pandemic mode. Uh, there's an annual Presidential Rank Awards Leadership Summit that we've had in recent years in Washington in December. And obviously, the pandemic threw those plans out the window. Um, so we pivoted to a, a virtual model, uh, actually expanded the event from a one-day event um, to a three-day event. Um, but not full-time any of those days. And with all the content being recorded, um, folks can have 90 days to access the information. Um, so we found it very successful, uh, a lot of energy created within the membership um, and within uh, the over 500 folks who joined us at the event last week, which was called The Future of Government Leadership Is Now. We continue, intend to build on those themes and some of those activities for our programming into 2021 that I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about further in the program. Sure. So we're gonna have to stop here for our second break. We'll continue our discussion after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Fed Talk on the Federal News Network. 
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on the Federal News Network. We are just entering the second half of our show. In the first half, we spoke to Abe Brown from FEIAA, Dr. Vivian Chen from Ajin, and Jason Briefel from SEA about their respective organizations um, and kind of like how they were navigating the year thus far. Um, but now we want to kind of discuss you know, more of this, this new normal um, what's going on and what this means for federal employees and what we should expect for 2021. But in order to do that, I guess I want to kind of still take a look back in the 2020 um, and ask each of them, you know, you know, what's obviously we know it's been different, but what have they, you know, what are the challenges they've had and, you know, and how do they respond to still bring these important um, member benefits to their, to their members. So, um, Dr. Chen, I want to start with you. So I imagine this year you didn't have the the one day leadership workshop, probably, but were you still able to carry on with the SCS development program? Yeah, I mean it, it was a smaller group to try to organize, and so um, the program chair of of uh, leadership development was able to convert from classroom uh, in person two day meetings to online to meetings and you know the struggle was making sure we had the right format where everyone connects because federal I think the challenge for nonprofit volunteer run organizations is getting everyone on the same page and working on with very limited um, resources so we had to identify the appropriate um, virtual platform uh, that was our first challenge because as you know there are a lot of federal agencies that are either using zoom or Microsoft Teams or Google, whatever. And so we weren't sure what to use. And just also having a format where you could also break into smaller groups is, was a learning experience. So, but we've been successful and we're, we are, we have announced our um, recently our next class nominations. If you're, if you're applying to our program, it's uh, applications will be due in January. So, Jason, I was wondering if you could um, comment a little bit on what SCA, how they have responded this year, um, you know, and what they've been able to kind of do differently than, than previous years to bring, you know, their important message and information to its members. Sure, absolutely, Tony. Um, I'll share kind of two different pieces. Um, and, and one is kind of building more on kind of the benefits of, of the virtual to get outside uh, the DC area, you know, um, as may not be a surprise, there is a concentration of SEA members in the DC area, but we still do have large constant pockets out in states like Florida and California and Texas, um, in Colorado and other major kind of bastions, but, uh, especially activities, programs, events, um, you know, they're here, here in DC. And so the ability to be virtual, uh, to, to have a meeting, yes, uh, I, I commiserate with Vivian's platform challenges. The inability of the government to decide on a single platform is a little vexing, but I think overall most folks have been able to overcome it. And so uh, we have been able to, for example, hold over 40 different monthly forum sessions uh, with our partners at the National Academy of Public Administration and the Shared Services Leadership Coalition. 
we're bringing together 70 to 100 government managers and executives and industry executives to talk about uh, human capital and other mission support challenges and opportunities. And by being virtual, instead of meeting in, in the conference rooms downtown in DC, we're able to bring in folks. So we have people dialing in from the shared services centers in Colorado and Louisiana and um, in Charleston. And so that's, there's, there's some upsides in the ability to bring folks together. Um, and that's kind of the programming piece. Um, you're able to bring in and, and democratize that. And then from the uh, information awareness piece, I've just really leaned into um, our different newsletters, uh, whether those are member alerts, uh, we have a weekly and a monthly newsletter at SCA that we've made several modifications to in recent years to try to uh, best highlight you know, important policy information that might be coming out of DC, but also developmental opportunities, uh, job opportunities, other things like that, that folks just might not be able to uh, have visibility onto um, on their own because they're uh, living busy lives. Jason, how have you seen, have you seen a change, um, like an uptick, for example, in engagement from your members with this kind of new of more of an online and a different, just a different platform where they're not, you know, having to, you know, get off their chairs and go somewhere? Yeah, I think, I think for sure, Tony, that, it, that certain barriers are eliminated and then certain new barriers get created again, whether it's the platform access issue, you know, uh, or just awareness and time constraints. I know folks feel like they're working more than ever because you don't have a two hour commute. So that means two more hours for your work day. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, striking that balance and, and finding, you know, what's energizing you and what's dreaming you is part of what's out there. And, you know, we try to balance programming and activities to meet that reality. You right. know, if things can be recorded, we'll share the recording after a live event if we can do things like that mm-hmm. um, to meet folks where they are because this year has been crazy. So um, Abe, let me uh, bring you back in and sort of ask you the same the same question. Um, you know, have you with your with your membership, you know, just kind of being out there with you know, you know, having your finger on the pulse um of the federal community um you know have you have you seen you know a a different kind of you know maybe it's not necessarily an uptick but have you seen a different kind of engagement from from your members and i guess just federal employees you know at large well in a general sense uh i'll speak to our our members I, i think i mentioned this earlier we have been moving more uh quite rapidly this year to our online programming, um, and you know, like, like you know, most associations, we have not had our face-to-face, which have been historically and traditionally um, most of the focus and most of our effort and time and resources. And so we've had to ra- radically change and move to online, being the primary um, uh, communication and professional development tool. Uh, our members, I would say. Um, they're as they're probably adjusting as uh, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. They're, they're they're adjusting to what needs to happen, which is which is difficult to do in terms of um, you know being used to basically watching everything from you know from home or watching everything from a, from one location as opposed to being uh, physically engaged, uh, which is difficult for for many. But at the same time. Um, I think as Jason kind of alluded to as well, it's um, managing your time. Uh, It can be either easier or it can be harder depending on type of worker that you are. For our members, um, it's been a pretty decent transition because um, we've had some um, online programs, some webinars that we've given and the attendance has been higher than we expected, um, which, which is a good sign uh, that the that not just the interest is there and the need is there, but that individuals are are adjusting to this new world of, of learning, and the engagement has been there as well. Um, you know, we have some of these online programs and opportunities. Uh, our members are engaged. Uh, they're they're asking questions if it's live. 
um, or they're um, emailing us or, or um, chatting, you know, information to us. So that's a very, those are all very good signs. Um, for the government, you know, wide, you know, what I've seen is, you know, really similar type of an adjustment. Um, some individuals were already doing things online. They were already at, uh, working remotely. They were already used to virtual uh, virtual universe, and they've been adjusting pretty. Not 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 much adjustment has been required, so they've been kind of just coasting. And then others are still having somewhat of a difficult time, but for the most part, getting used to the new norm. So I think you know, just in the general sense for the federal government, you know, employees. Um, are not just adjusting to this, but, mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure we may talk about this a little more, but they are um, uh, expecting and, uh, and many are wanting con to continue this new environment. That's kind of what I've been seeing and been hearing. Do, do you feel, so this has been, you know, a, you know, a year, you know, if nothing else with a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Um, and, you know, as, as things continue to change, both with COVID-19, you know, the talk of the vaccine, you know, back to work, this, that, um, and with preparation for a new administration, I mean, do you feel, get a sense both in like the association world um, and the federal government at large, Abe, that there's starting to become a little bit more certainty or is everybody still just, you know, sitting there and just sort of re reacting, you know, to all the, you know, uncertain stuff that, you know, the changes that just happen to seem to be like weekly, you know, or do you get a sense that there's a little bit of more, um, you know, of certainty, you know, settling in with them, like we're, we're kind of terming as the new normal? Right. Well, um, I'd say, I, the short answer is yes, in that there is a, a more of a sense of certainty than there was a couple of months ago. I'll say that much. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there, you know, there is a vaccine, you know, that the FDA has recently approved and there's another two more that are in the pipeline to come out. Um, of course, you know, everyone, including FDA, we're, we're all learning as we go you know, and learning what the, uh, the outcome and what the, uh, the length of time of being, uh, you know, not just vaccinated, but immune. And so we're learning as we go on this process. But right. because um, this breakthrough that has occurred in record time in terms of uh, treat both treatments and vaccines, um, there is a little more stability than there was just even just a month ago and definitely three, four months right. ago. Having right. said, there's still plenty of uncertainty, though, um, and I believe, you know, based on what I'm saying, that um, I'm not going to say that people are believing, you know, federal employees are believing that the new normal is now stabilized. I don't, I don't, I don't see that. I don't hear that. Right. But what I do hear is that federal employees are saying, well, there is um, hope for stability around the corner. Now, the corner could be you know, for some people, a month. For others, it could be 12 months. But I, I am hearing that from federal employees that there is hope for stability coming. We're going to stop here for our final break. When we return, we'll talk about what federal employee associations need to do in moving forward and how they can come together to help federal employees for the future. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on the Federal News Network. We're entering our last segment of the show where we will discuss the future of federal employee associations. So, Dr. Chan, I wanted to ask you, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has obviously you know, changed the government in, in a way that no one could have really anticipated. Um, we've had to quickly implement a 
lot of teleworking protocols and learn to use so many new tools. Um, in your opinion, what has been the biggest adjustment for um, federal employees across the board? So thank you. I think earlier we were, uh, we were talking a little bit about the adjustments because of, of um, uh, using telework. But l let me just say that I'm, I'm happy that the workforce really had a chance. Uh, in the previous administration, they really required us to be telework ready. So I think that at that point, we were starting to really get adjusted to telework activities. And, and that wasn't as difficult as you probably some people think, but it was triggered um, a lot of unintended outcomes. And by that, I mean, it, it really has emphasized that communication is critical and encouraged participation of all and adjustments to rely on internet may be the biggest adjustment because not all employees have stable connections, but they also don't have the right, all of, which interferes with the virtual concept of being able to get on a meeting um, to conduct business. And, and it becomes a burden to leaders to participate in nonstop virtual encounters that requires employees to respond to emails after hours. In other words, you know, we're spending nonstop meetings with no breaks on internet from morning till night. And in the past, we had time to really look at our emails and to be uh, interactive. Some of the emails have tripled or doubled, quadrupled because when you could have gone to your stand up and talk to your employee, um, it now is everything is on internet, right, uh, by email. So the virtual formats have um, taken more time to use and um, has taken more time of, of, I think, our senior leaders to have to work more to get the work done. And um, so this means to conduct business with one or all of the workforce. But let me, we were talking a little bit about the impact of COVID and, and, and these new formats. And I'm not sure that this is all of the impact. You know, the impact for the federal government has been really um, in terms of affinity groups like Ajin is the lack of being able to conduct business um, in the past the way we used to because of the lack of or the limitations of of um, discussing diversity and inclusion in in the in the last four years, and the lack of funding for programming to create that diverse workforce. So, uh, you know, the adjustment really is um, that's probably the just as much of a, a distraction and a, an adjustment as trying to do business um, on an internet or a virtual space when. Our membership is diverse anyway in terms of um, representation across federal agencies. And just like FEI and probably SEA, the members really have need to have a forum where they can get together and meet. And when that was cut out uh, previously and now we've been relying on, uh, we were able to at least meet and now we're relying totally on virtual it's kind of made a difference and a cramp in um, our business. So, well, really, um, it really impacts the what I think is important for you know all these associations um, is the connectivity between one another, the members, and things like that. Yeah. And you know, it really um, has impacted that. What you were alluding to um, very delicately is there were a lack of you know programs that supported some of these diversity um, initiatives and programs um, in these past, you know, several years. And then when you added that to the problems of, of COVID this past year, it was like a double, a double whammy. Um, but Abe, let me ask you, cause I know, you know, we, we sort of tongue in cheek a little bit about everybody's day job at the start of the, the show. Um, and I know, you know, in your day job that, that for many years, you have managed virtual teams, um, telework teams. Um, so I, I wonder, you know, if you could, you know, speak a little bit about, um, you know, that and, and, you know, maybe, you know, any sort of helpful 
tips or, you know, challenges, you know, things that you were able to get over as you've done that to our, to our listeners who are maybe doing this for the first time. Like I say to my employees all the time, you know, it's not that you guys don't work well virtually. I just don't manage you well virtually. Yeah, Tony, it's, um, and that's, that's something that's, you're talking about exactly what you mentioned earlier in terms of you asked a question about adjustment. Um, that's, that's a significant adjustment for the manager. Um, you know, I'd say first, you know, Vivian is correct in those offices that have not had uh, virtual um, environments, you know, the adjustments is difficult both for the employee, the staff person and the manager and probably more of an adjustment for the manager. Um, you know, as you mentioned, my, I, I ran a division for years that was a virtual office and my staff were staffed from um, Northern California to Miami, you know, and so it was the norm to not walk by my staff members desk because we were always virtual. Um, the, the adjustment that has to happen, at least on the manager side, I'll start there, is focusing on the output, focusing on um, what the staff, for the staff employee, what they're actually producing. Um, that's the new normal. That's part of the new normal. The focus is on what's being produced versus the physical monitoring the physical presence, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, and I, and I did, uh, I had teleworking and, uh, you know, traditional office-based um, teams that I oversaw and organizations when I was in the private sector before I became a federal uh, public servant. And it's always the same thing. Managers are very much used to seeing their staff, you know, visually, and that becomes a part of the managing process, seeing a person there and seeing whether they're at their desk, seeing whether they're at the office or in the meeting. Um, and that's part of the managing um, method and not saying that that's wrong at all. But now you have to, as a manager, focus on what the person's producing regardless of whether or not you see them. I have, and I tell this, you know, I've, you know as you know, Tony, I've given you know, presentations and spoken to many organizations about teleworking. I, I used to tell my staff, if you produce something, if you're working on something and you have the quality and uh, the uh, timeliness of that product, whatever it is, it could be a report, it can be some sort of a project, whatever it is, if the quality and timeliness is there, um, you could do it from a beach in Acapulco. I, I could really care less. And that's the mindset that a manager has to have. You know, the other adjustment is, again, on staff staff have to balance autonomy with accountability and they are not mutually exclusive. You can have autonomy and accountability at the exact same time. Uh, it's called that it's called, I call it self-policing when a manager and a staff member proactively in advance, they determine what the work goals are. They determine what the scheduling is in advance. Then you can have the staff person police themselves. They know what their deadlines are. They know what the outcome, the output should be at a given point of time, whether it's the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, whatever it is. And they're held to that. And that falls in line with their performance uh, goals. That falls in line with their PMAPs. Um, they know what's expected of them. And it's the autonomy that they have mixed with accountability they're merged together so those are the adjustments you mm -hmm. know mindsets it's all about mindsets that the manager has to have and the staff have to have and it's new for many not just federal employees but private sector as well it's new and it has to be part of the new normal so you know I, you know i i hear you um and um you know not eventually the federal government, they're going to, you know, start bringing people back to work, um, you know, and even beyond, you know, obviously the, the first responders and, you know, the people that kind of, you know, just, they do work that they literally cannot be um, remote and things like that. But for the, the other kind of positions that they have done remotely, 
um, as the government starts gearing up to bring these people back to work. Um, let me ask you, Jason, um, kind of like what, what barriers um, you see or what kind of problems, you know, do you see associated um, with that, you know, kind of, you know, big picture from, I guess, a, a you know, a, a, a federal personnel kind of, you know, approach? Are they going to be resisting? You know, hey, I've done all this work remotely. I feel I'm more productive, as Abe has pointed out. You know, I, I got quite comfortable working in my sweats and my fluffy, you know, you know, sneakers or my this and that. You know, are, are you going to see, you know, do, do you think we're going to see a lot of resistance there? I think it's a great question, Tony. Um, we can't, you know, we may see resistance. I think employees will be right to uh, argue that they have proven that they can work. Uh, for a large part, I think Abe makes a wonderful point that who are in supervisory roles, who our managers are, uh, we might need to make some, some considerations and evaluations, the skill sets of you know, managing by walking around and putting eyes on people. Uh, frankly, that probably wasn't very effective in the past, and it certainly isn't going to work anymore. Uh, we have to use evidence. We have to use data. Uh, like Abe said, we have to treat ourselves like uh, professionals, uh, not bureaucrats. And you know, the, the differentiation between a bureaucrat and a professional is that you are entrusted with that accountability to perform and deliver. And I think that the federal workforce has proven that they can indeed do that. Um, and so there's going to be a whole landscape of changes. You know, we have to update the telework laws. We have to consider which office spaces and leases we're keeping and which ones we let go. Uh, the nature of where work gets done uh, and by whom um, is gonna change. And that's, those are also playing out in the private sector and in the talent economy. And as the government, as an employer, has to stay up with those trends to continue right. having access to the people it needs to do the work for the public. So it looks like that's all the time we have today. Thanks again to Abe Brown of the Federal Executive Institute Alumni Association, Dr. Vivian Chen of the Asian American Government Executives Network, and Jason Briefel of the Senior Executives Association for joining us today. A reminder that Fed Talk is brought to you by the attorneys at Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Happy holidays, everyone, and we will see you next year.